All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. Let's find our way back to our seats, and we're going to carry on with our service this morning. we got about three hours to go, so that should give us plenty of time. And all the newcomers are like, well, it's my exit cue. I was, I'm, jo- I'm joking. I'm kidding. Um, listen, let me invite you to open up your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. Uh, we also try to put uh, these verses on the screen behind me as well. To follow along. Last week, special week as we concluded uh, a 21-day prayer and fast for our church. A uh, very great uh, time of worship last week at our special service that we called Heart for the House that we do a couple of times a year. Uh, phenomenal day. Uh, we were able to welcome and receive five new households as members of our church. Praise God. It's exciting. We also recognized and, uh, re- and honored several new leaders in our church who are stepping up to serve uh, here in the church and to serve the community, so it's pretty phenomenal to have that going on. And uh, we, we had a great fellowship breakfast uh, last Sunday morning. Again, thank you all for making that happen. Uh, just, just the richness of the conversations, uh, that a church that actually likes to be together. You know, we don't just put on the front, but it's actually nice to know that we actually like to come together, uh, not only in our worship uh, way, but in fellowship way as well. And so, thank you all for making that happen. And also, we concluded our time last week with coming to the communion table, uh, the Lord's table. Just a very special day, all in all, as we geared up to... Uh, we took time, 21 days, uh, to set aside to really pray and seek the Lord and get, get our faith built up, our faces set in the right direction, and our, our hearts on, on the things that the Lord wants to accomplish and do in our life and what He's saying to us. So uh, don't let the excitement, don't let the expectation die down just because that time of prayer, a uh, special time of prayer and fasting has ended. Uh, may we continue to flow and move and walk forward in the grace and the strength and the help of God that's with us. And so today, we're going we're gonna to take it a step further, the next step here in our church. And we're going to look at, a, at one of the things that we uh, mentioned last week, which is one of our core values at our church. Uh, we have six. They're on our website, newlifechurchofjackson.org, as well as all of our sermons and messages are also on there. Right on the homepage, there's links, buttons you can click, and it'll take you right to it. Um, but one of our core values is being a church that is discipleship-driven, discipleship-driven. And so to take that a little further, let's look at our main text today. It's a parable that Jesus spoke. It's also, this parable in Mark 4 is also in Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel. Um, we're going to read it from Mark's version today. So here, here you have Jesus uh, at the lake shore, and tons of people are all around him, and they're pressed in to hear what he's got to say. And so uh, he, he, he knows what he wants to talk about. So he hops in a boat and sits down and is able to face the crowd. And, and this is the parable that he tells. Verse 3 of chapter 4. He says, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. And as he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath. And the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on the shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on 
fertile soil and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. And then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Jump down to verse 13. He was later with his disciples and some others who were gathered close by. And he said to them, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? In other words, it's crucial, it's critical. You've got to understand this one. And he goes on to explain what he's talking about. He says, the farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message, only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or as they are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. In verse 20, and the seed that fell on good soil It represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as he had planted. Let's pray over this word today. Heavenly Father, you have already been speaking to us today, and we are thankful for that. Thank you, Lord, that you hear us. Thank you, God, you know us. I thank you, God, you, you, stre- you stressed in your word and was teaching us that it's not so much about what we do as much as it is about who we are and where our names are written. Our names are written down in the Lamb's book of life. So today, give us ears to hear, and Lord, help us just apply faith to it, to believe it for what it is, your word, and help us to gain traction in walking it out. We honor you today. Help me, Lord, to preach and deliver it the way it needs to be. And we give you honor and we give you glory today for you are awesome. In Jesus' name. Everybody can say amen. 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 As I mentioned earlier, we're talking about one of our core values here today at our church. Being a discipleship-driven church. Meaning, really, is we value being true followers of Jesus Christ. That's what disciple means. It's a lifelong learner or follower of Jesus Christ. And we value as a church, we want to be the kind of people who are true followers of Christ. Don't get me wrong, don't misunderstand. We're not perfect. We're far from it. Uh, We don't have it all together. And we don't want to be a church that pretends that we got it all happening. Amen? We don't want to blow ourselves up and hide behind the bells and whistles of church in the sense of the organization of it and what happens on displays and all these different things. We're just trying to be a church that's as genuine as we can in following our Christ, who taught us to admit our wrongs, amen, to confess our faults to one another and to receive prayer so that we can be built up and refreshed and forgiven. That's really what we aim to be. That's what I mean when we say we value being true followers of Jesus Christ. We try to be people of his word. We try to be people of prayer, trying to be people of community in the circle of relationships in uh, and, and, and helping each other grow in Christ, as well as people of the table, the communion table, and what the elements there represent and have them 
functioning in reality in our life and what that means. So I say all those things to say that God provides us all those different avenues, those different resources, those different patterns to follow because he wants us to help us to discover this right here. Who am I? That's a question. Who am I? And that's what I've titled today's message, Who Am I? When the songs, the exhortations, the prayers, all of it in different ways, just highlighting and, and echoing everything about what God wants us to know, who we are. The one, a theologian and a philosopher of, of the Lord, he, his name's Dallas Willard, he has since passed, but he said this, he said, the most important thing about you is not the things you achieve, it's the person that you become. It's the person you become. Jesus says it this way in talking with his disciples in Matthew 16. He's got his disciples around. He's having this conversation with them. And he asks them this question, hey, who do people, the public, who do the public, the people say that I am? So they stood there for a moment and they're looking at him and they start to give him an answer back. Well, some say uh, you're like John the Baptist. Some say like Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the other prophets is kind of who you remind them of and who they think of when they look to you and and he's like okay but that's that's fine but what about you he said then he says who do you personally say that I am who do you personally say that I am and Peter said I got this one (laughs) I got it you are the Messiah you are the son of the living God that's the answer that's that's exactly who he is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Their answer did not define him as much as it defined them. Our answer to that question that Jesus asked, who am I, does not necessarily define him as much as it helps to define us. Jesus has no qualms. No, he has, he's not mixed up in who he is. He knows who he is. He knew who he was when he asked that question. And so their answer was an answer that he needed to get out of them. Hey, do you know who I am? Because if you know who I am, then I am going to make who you need to be. See, who he is will make who we will become. If we believe in this Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of the living God, if we believe that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the author and the finisher of our faith, the Savior of the world, the one who forgives all of our sins, the one who redeems our lives from the pit of hell, the one who walks with us, the one who sticks with us, who is closer than a brother as the Bible teaches, the one of all those things, the one who died on the cross and then on the third day rose from the dead. If we believe that, who he is, is who will make us and who we are to become. So he asked that question not to get definition for himself, but he asked that question for us to get definition of who we are. Who he is will make who we become. And later on down in that same chapter, he has, continues the conversation. He goes, let me, let me kind of draw it out a little further. He says this. We can check it out on the screen. Chapter 16, verse 24 of Matthew. He says to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn... From your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. What What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come 
with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. So as you want to know who you are, and knowing who you are is in me, then you got to follow me. But to follow me, you're going to have to, can't live life on your own terms. You, you can't call your own shots. You can't think you know what's best. When you're saying you believe me to be the author and the finisher of your faith, and the, I'm writing this story, I have written this story, it's my story, you're in my story, and my story makes you who you are. I know who you want, who you are called to be. I know what I have planned for you. So you can't live life on your own terms. You also got to be willing to yield to my ways, and you can't live for yourself alone. Come on, people, how many times do we see stories, people always just trying to live life for themselves? He says, if you want to follow me, you can't do that. He said, it's more, there's more to this than what you do, what you achieve. It's really about who you are becoming. When I was in college, I was on a leadership track of youth ministry, and I had already answered the call of God to ministry. And I was in this leadership track to pursue that and being trained and equipped for it. I was in college as well. And so, but I remember one night, or part of this time frame, I was starting to have these thoughts about a friend of mine who was also in a similar path. And uh, the same, same exact group of, uh, uh, that we were together with and all these things. And I began to think jealous thoughts of my friend. So I was real close to my leaders, but this friend was getting closer. And it started, some things started to rise up in me that didn't, they weren't that good. And I started thinking thoughts of jealousy, thoughts of envy, and thought, man, how are you going to get close? I've been around longer than you have. I'm closer, kind of like Peter, James, and John, and John was the close one, and Peter was the loud one, and he let us know it. And I started thinking that, and I thought, well, that's not good. That can't be. So I remember laying on my bed one night, I was praying, and I told the Lord, you know, I, just the reality of what, of what I was feeling, kind of what I was seeing, my view, and I just told the Lord, you know, God, whatever you want me to do, if you called me to ministry, if it's wherever it is, you're going to open the door for me. It doesn't matter if so-and-so's getting closer to the leaders than I am, or whatever it is going on. I just want you to do what you want for him, and I want you to do what you want for me, and I don't want to get in the way. I don't want to mess this thing up. I don't want to go through life jaded and being jealous of somebody else getting attention, somebody else getting a spotlight, someone else getting a favor, someone else getting a nod, someone else getting a tap on the shoulder, someone else getting to preach more than me, someone else getting recognized more than me. God, I don't want to have to deal with that. I don't want to go through all that because it ain't worth it. So, Lord, whatever you got to do in me right now, you do it. And I just want to speak good about my friend. And I'll release him to get close and be what he needs to be. And I'll be content for you to do what you want me to be. It wasn't too far after that that I had lunch with my leader at the time. And he said, we want to bring you on in a paid position as an intern. I wasn't getting paid up until that point. At that point, he said, we want to pay you. I'm like, hey, how about that? I'll take that. He goes, you're going to be doing all kinds of things. You're going to wear many hats, do all kinds of stuff, and we don't know when, but we're just wanting to get you ready to uh, lead this youth ministry someday. 
I don't know when it's going to be. Don't know how it's going to happen. But if you just say yes, then that just kind of starts a process. And I get paid to do this part, right? Yeah. It's not full time now. It's not a lot. You're going to have to keep working, keep going to school, finish all that stuff. But one day, all right. And it wasn't there long after my friend that I was jealous of was praying. And he felt called to go to Bible college in a different state. Nothing, there was no, we didn't have any angst to each other. We friendly, good, nothing. He never knew any of this was going on in my mind and my heart. He's on, he serves with a ministry in a church where he lives now, married, has kids, doing well, doing really well. And um, in the short stage, the rest is history. I'm here now. But the thing about it was that prayer on my bed that night was the breaking point and the tipping point to how my future was going to look like. That I did not want to be one of those leaders who manipulated to get his way. Everything that God has ever brought to me to minister, to preach, to lead, and do all that, I did not put myself in a place to arm twist anything or to make any of it happen, at least to the best of my knowledge, okay? I wanted to trust God's hand to work things out. And I sure didn't want to be jealous of anybody. Because let me tell you, yeah, there are a lot more gifted preachers than me. There are a lot more gifted leaders than me. I mean, they can walk circles around me and lead great things around me. I have no problem with that. I'm just trying to be content in who I am. But that prayer opened up that door for that leader to come to me and say, we want to do this, and we want to set you on this path. Here's the thing. Our problem in this world is that this world does not teach us to pay attention to what really matters. It does a horrible job in teaching. It was never meant to teach us what really matters. This is supposed to teach us what really matters. And what really matters, a big thing that matters, is the condition of our souls. I'm not talking about whether you're saved or not saved, love the Lord or not love the Lord. We can all be saved, love the Lord, and all that good stuff, but we still have to pay attention to the condition of our souls and ask the question, who am I becoming? For Jesus, in the middle of the parable, verse 13 said, you've got to get the understanding of this. If you don't understand the meaning of this parable, you will not understand any other parables. You've got to understand who you are becoming. Because you know the stories, the background stories of these disciples. They argued with each other and they fought with each other. Who's the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest here? And Jesus constantly put it out in the middle of this thing. You've got to understand who you are and who you are becoming. And so he lays out these four conditions in this parable. With the few minutes I have left, let's go through these. There's four conditions of our souls. The first one he outlines is the hardened soul, a soul that is hard. He said this is the one where the seed was scattered, it fell on the footpath. He explains it and he says that uh, it was a seed that fell on the footpath, represents those who hear, but Satan comes at once and takes it away. What he's getting at is, hey, the footpath is where the farmers and the sheep would walk. And that path would get hard and it would get dry. Therefore, the seed couldn't go down 
and it was snatched away. Hard souls, souls get hard sometimes because of hurt, disappointments. There are things that happen in our life, things that happen to us that maybe are not really our fault, that we just happen to be there, and it happened. Some things we have no control of, some things we do, but nonetheless, there are situations and circumstances that play out in our life that can cause us to get hurt, that can cause us to get disappointed. And if we linger and live with the hurt and the disappointment long enough, what happens is our souls get hardened. And we get cynical, we get judgmental, uh, we live fearful of other things, of other people. Uh, we, we even can live bitter because our souls get hard. You can look at it, there's, you can look at it throughout, but there's a few that happened early on, and that's with uh, Cain and Abel. Abel's offering was accepted by God. Cain's was rejected by God. So what's Cain do? He kills his brother. What? Because your offering was acceptable and mine wasn't, so I'm going to kill you over it? But we have that kind of nonsense happening in our world today. People killing people over stupid stuff. Never that it should be justified even if it wasn't stupid. But my point being, that's how low our world is is jealousy self-entitlement because somebody else got accepted and I didn't does that give me the right to act that way absolutely not absolutely Jacob and Esau Esau was the older he had the birthright of the older had a lot more rights coming to him so Jacob deceived him and stole his birthright Joseph his father said it was lo he loved him more than he loved his brothers. His brothers hated Joseph because of that, and they hated Joseph because Joseph had dreams for his life. Joseph had grand, big dreams for his life. One day I'm going to be. One day I'm going to do. One day I'm going to. His brothers couldn't stand it, so they faked his death and sold him into slavery and lied to his father. Because they didn't like him, because he had dreams. They didn't like him because they thought, well, so-and-so, dad loves him more than loves us. Think about the context of life as we go through these. David and his brothers, it wasn't David's fault that he was the youngest, and it sure wasn't David's fault that Samuel the prophet picked him to be the next king over Israel one day when he was older. But he did. God picked David over all his brothers. All his older brothers had the stature, had the look, had the appearance. They were chiseled. They were ripped. They were, ripped. They were, they were yoked, yo. They were ready to go. They could fight. They, could, they, they were in the army. They were ready. They thought, well, I should be. I should be. I should be the king. If you're going to pick somebody in this family, pick me. Because I got it going on, Samuel. No, 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 no. You got anybody else? Well, we got this young one, the youngest of all. He's just out there on the backside of the desert taking care of some nasty old sheep. He's going to smell like you know what when he walks up here, but that's who we got. Well, let's get him up here. And who does Samuel anoint when he sees him? God says, that's the one I want. That's the one I want. 
And you know the story. David eventually becomes king, but through a long stretch of overcoming things in his heart. But all these people, their, their souls were hardened because of the way they were treated and the way things happened and played out in their life. See, the world says we have a right to be this way. We have a right to be angry. We have a right to be jealous. We have a right to get our way. We have a right to revenge. We have a right to cut you down so I can get a step up. And what we don't realize is the, our own hurt that we're so wrapped up in, we don't realize and notice the hurt we're causing somebody else. Because hurt people hurt people. And friend, in Christ Jesus, the Jesus way, the Jesus way is what he says in Matthew 16. If you want to follow me, take up your cross, turn from your selfish ways, and follow me. In other words, start to do some things that are sacrificial and self-denying. You don't want a hard heart anymore? Flesh this thing out. Take some small steps of sacrifice. Make some small steps of self-denial. You feel low, you feel down. When's the last time when you were low and you were down and you felt isolated and forgotten and rejected that you sent somebody else a message telling them, I'm praying for you. I want to encourage you to not let your head stay down, but lift up your eyes to the Lord from where your help comes from. When you are feeling at your lowest, make the small sacrificial steps of self-denial. Reach out to somebody else who feels like you feel, and you take the lead, you take the step, even though you know in your own heart, I need somebody to talk some good to me, but you take a moment and offer it to somebody else, and pretty soon you'll find yourself flying high under the shadow of the Almighty because your heart won't stay hard. You see, when we start to flesh it out and take some small steps of sacrifice and self-denial, those things break up the hard things, and those hard things become soft again. The second condition of a soul, he says, is a shallow soul. A shallow soul, he said, under that is shallow soil. I had underlying rock. Seed grew up quick, but it soon wilted because the sun was hot and it didn't have deep roots. It said those, those things, he says, um, verse uh, 16, he says, that seed fell on rocky soil. Those who heard me receive it with joy. They don't have deep roots, so they don't last long. You don't have deep roots, you don't last long. You don't have deep roots, you don't last long. Long, it falls away because of problems, because of pressure, because of resistance. Thin layer of topsoil, no deep roots. What's he saying? The world is notorious for trying to keep our souls superficial. Lord Almighty, if that ain't the truth, that this world is so good at trying to keep our souls shallow. superficial based on the wrong things it tells us things like you got to look this way to have this you got to have this degree to have this you got to have this kind of money to have that right all these different things bam and i'm still alive should i not say those things but you know the the soul doesn't need more 
intelligence. It doesn't need more excitement. It's not looking for more talent. What the soul's after is it's desperate for depth. Each one of our souls is desperate for depth. Trust me, you don't, your soul doesn't want to live a shallow, superficial life. No, your soul really wants some depth to it. And the thing is, we live most of our life in the shallows, but then something happens. Something happens. Bad happens. Good happens. Demotion. Promotion. Birth. A death. A graduation. A marriage. A divorce. Bankruptcy. Illness. Fatalities. We live in the shadows, shallows most of our life until those types of things start to happen. And then when those things happen, it shows us... Good Lord, am I going to die up here? I like using my hands, so maybe I should not use my hands. And we begin to get a glimpse of the depth of our soul when things happen. You guys with me? But hear me tell you this, the soul begins to gain depth when it is really, truly connected to God. Our souls gain its death when we're connected to God. When we begin to realize the vastness of who he is, the awesomeness of who he is, the closeness of who he is, the nearness of who he is, the power of who he is, things like theologians use the word omniscience and omnipotent and omnipresent, God everywhere, God all-knowing, God all-powerful. When we begin to wrap ourselves into who he is, and get connected to that. Our souls come alive and our souls get deeper. See, the world tries to allure us and blind us to the depth and the glory of our God-given destiny and design by tempting us to just settle for whatever can satisfy us at the moment. Whatever can satisfy you now, that's what you need to settle for. If that makes you happy, jump on it. If that makes you happy, go for it. If that makes you happy, you should have that. If it doesn't matter if you're $10,000 in debt, but boy, if it makes you happy, you should have that. Our, our, the world allures us and blinds us to our God-given destiny and our design, the way God wants us to act, the way God wants us to be. By tempting us to settle for instant gratification. Right? It's right. I'll tell you that. It's right right now. I'll tell you that without a doubt. That's right. But the way of Jesus, the Jesus way is come to Jesus. Stay with Jesus. Stick with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. And over time, Jesus will add some depth to the layers of your soul. what's called the long hard walk of obedience in the same direction i get it that ain't sexy that don't sell out conferences that doesn't fill forums and arenas that unpack out churches telling people hey you want to do this thing then you just need to have the long hard walk of obedience and man thousands will show up not How can my soul be lighter? How can my soul be healthier? How can my life make sense and have more meaning? Oh, you just need to have the long, hard walk of obedience going your way, baby, and you're going to be good. No, I don't want to hear that. I don't want you telling me that. What three things can I do? 
What five steps can I take? Oh, you see, you misunderstood. It's not three things or five steps. It's the long, hard walk of obedience in the same direction. It's one foot in front of the other. How did you get to be who you are? How did God give you favor? How did God give you credibility? How did God bring you into this? How did God heal you from that? It's one foot in front of the other. It doesn't happen overnight. You see all these overnight sensations, all these overnight YouTubers, all these overnight people on platforms that have millions of views. They didn't get there overnight. No, that happened long, 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 long time ago when nobody was watching them, nobody was subscribing to them, nobody knew who their name was, nobody had an idea, but over time, the long, hard walk of obedience, that'll put you on the map. You may not be a big dot on the map, but you'll be on the map. God sees you. God knows you. And he calls you. To follow him. Stick with him. Stay with him. And lastly, or the third, third I, gotta, I gotta get going. You guys got stuff you gotta do. The hardened soul, the shallow soul, then thirdly is this. Aren't you glad there's only four and not like 25? I'd break it up, of course. I'd break it up and I'd put, put it over the course of like weeks. Of course I would. Come on. The cluttered soul. The cluttered soul. He said, this is the seed that fell among thorns. It grew up, choked out the plants. He described it as these thorns grew up, and they represent others who hear God's word, but too quickly, it's crowded out by the worries of life. We don't have any of that. By the lure of wealth and by the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. These thorns grow and choke out. Because of worry, because of the deceitfulness of wealth, and, and it's just for other things, for other things. It's many, a lot, a long list of that can fall into there. Lots of things can fall into the list, goes on and on. Someone once said that if the devil can make you, cannot make you sin, he will make you busy. Because either way, your soul will shrivel. He knows it. We know it. We should know it. You see, the busy soul gets attached to the wrong things, and therefore it becomes cluttered. The soul is sticky. Our soul is sticky. It wants something. It's looking to touch something. It's looking to grasp. It's looking to attach. And the busy soul is a soul that gets attached to the wrong things. You see, the world teaches us to burn the candle at both ends. The world teaches us to pimp our talent so we can get noticed and make our way up the corporate ladder and get promoted and all this other stuff. Nothing, anything wrong with that. It's just the motive. Who you are, what you're becoming matters. The world teaches us, you know, you just need to buy all kinds of things and stuff you don't really need. If that makes you content, just have it, just possess it, just achieve it, just do it. Just keep having and having and, and getting more and more and more and more, right? I know I'm not teaching anybody in here that, do, that, that believes that or is doing that. Also, the world teaches us, hey, you just need to stay alone, stay isolated, stay separated because you don't need anybody else. 
You can do this all on your own. Both are equally unhealthy. But the Jesus way, the way of Jesus is this, is create space, make some room with our time and our talents and our, the treasure, the resources God gives us. Invest that into the right places, into the right things. Because if not, the stuff we go after, the things we try to achieve and possess and have, it'll end up corrupting us. Not that they're bad in and of themselves, but the soul that's busy, that won't rest. That won't breathe deep. Won't catch your breath. Always got to have. Always got to be doing. Always got to be pounding the pavement. Right? Busy. 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 And lastly, the healthy soul. The healthy soul, he says, this soul is fertile. Sprouts and grows and produces a crop 30, 60, 100 times as much as been planted. How about that? 30, 60, or even 100 times as much has been planted. He calls this fertile and good, healthy. In other words, this is the soul that has made the right amount of space, the right amount of depth, the right amount of softness inside. Did not stay hard did not stay shallow, and it did not stay cluttered. It was a process, it's a journey, it's a continuation of always checking yourself before you wreck yourself. Right? In other words, pay attention to who you are becoming. Don't be that naive follower of Christ who just can memorize a few verses, sit in some services, do a few things, but never changes. Never lets the work of God leave the impression in your soul that needs to be made. Don't be that kind of follower. Because if you're that kind of follower, it won't be long before you'll live with a hardness, or you'll live with a shallowness, or you'll live with a clutteredness in your life. And you'll begin to try to wonder, how can I get out of this? What can I do? Why am I the way I am? Why am I irritated so much? Why am I frustrated so much? Why am I impatient so much? Why don't I like this so much? I thought this is what I was supposed to do, and I changed jobs 25 times because nobody can make me happy. Nobody can give me the time of day. Nobody recognizes the value that I bring. Perhaps it was never about the value as much as it was about the you, you. A healthy soul makes space for God. A healthy soul makes room for God. A healthy soul connects with God. A healthy soul practices the forgiveness of God. Yeah, people wrong all the time. All of the situations are relative and they have varying degrees of layers of difficulty and challenges that I'm not even going to try to get into because a statement like that can't, but in the sense of just releasing everything to God will make a world of difference.
Make space. Stay connected. Practice the forgiveness of God. And he says in that, that kind of soul can produce 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as, as was planted. In other words, if we can get ourselves to live there, it has a real shot. It has a real chance. It has a real opportunity to produce more than what was even invested. Investors like to call that the return on investment. The ROI, the return on investment. They want to see what they invest is actually going to grow and become more. And that's what, God's, that's what God does inside of us. He plants himself in us as we connect with him and stay with him and walk with him. And over time, if we're allowing him to develop and work himself around inside of us, knock down some walls, reconstruct some areas, repaint, resurface, refurniture, whatever you want to call it, we let God work in us, here's the thing, our life can matter more and have greater significance because he says uh, 30, 60, or even 100 times as much can come out of our life. Your life does matter. Your life does count. You are significant. But with Christ and in Christ, it has a chance to be more. It has a chance to be more when you do it the Jesus way. Amen. Megan, can you help come close out? I should have called you a minute ago. I apologize. Who I can become will become greater because of the one who is making me as I follow him. Who I can become will become greater because of the one who is making me as I follow him. It's about the next step.